I had a professor once say that we're all biblical geographers, um, understanding the world of the scriptures, understanding the original context. And a lot of today, I wanted to get that out there. It's so easy to read Acts and read the scriptures from afar, 2,000 years removed. Uh, but they're real places. They're real places you can still visit today. Um, I've had the opportunity to live there for nine months and do a multiple trips as well. Um, I've already had a few say, hey, when's the next trip? Soon. Soon. I, it can't come soon enough. I'm always jealous when I have a few pastor buddies that are leading trips in the next year, and I'm like, can I come with? Can I? I want to come. Uh, but it costs money, so I can't. Uh, so I just wanted to bring some of that out today. Uh, today we're in Acts 9, 32 through 43. A couple smaller pieces today, but are very important. It's a very important hinge point today. We're reintroduced to Peter, who's, we kind of, took an aside from him, met this Saul and Paul character lately, but we're back to Peter today. And he's called to do something a little, little uncomfortable. And it, it led to the question for me of, have you ever done something uncomfortable, something that's hard, something that pushes you? I know for the 23 of us, which somehow I always get like, I have to preach the week after my honeymoon. I have to preach the first Sunday of the new year. I have to preach a week after wilderness. Like, how do I get the short straw on those? Uh, but 23 of us just came back from wilderness in Canada. Something uncomfortable. Something hard. As the mosquito bites on my legs still say. This trip was tough. Especially, this was my sixth trip with between the youth group and a leadership trip that I did up there. This was probably the hardest trip I've done. Same, same amount as other ones, same trip and everything, but we had a lot of stuff. Just ask some of the students. Some of our packs were very heavy. And... That's coming from someone who is going into it of like, oh, it'll be a piece of cake. And then blindsided day one of like, oh yeah, you have more packs and canoes than you do people. Okay. So that was, that was hard. We were pushed. Mentally, physically, emotionally. It was, it was a tough, tough trip. For some, it might be having hard conversations with family members, with friends, with co-workers, neighbors, having those hard theological conversations about faith and beliefs and where you stand, especially nowadays where it's, it's polarizing. Our Christian beliefs are polarizing. Maybe it's ethical Stuff. I, I remember a story of my late uncle, a um, big mentor of mine. 
uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Quit a job because they were unethical. Well-paying job because they were lying about materials that they were using and quit. Ended up going to a different company for less money, um, but ended up doing amazing things. If you go down into Detroit, more than likely a building, a stadium, something has his fingerprints on it. Comerica, Ford Field, Little Caesars, Kobo, um, the People Mover, the alleys downtown, fit his fingerprints, all because of an ethical decision he made early in his career. For me, some of the hard things were, I remember when I was 15, 14 or 15, first time I preached, wolf, I, I'm sure some of you remember that. I, I do remember I wore a lime green shirt when I preached, and I think it was forest green by the time I was done. I was that nervous. But it was hard having to preach in front of people as a kid. But Pastor Jeff and Craig really, really taught me through that. I remember I was riding my bike up to the Eastmont campus. Ride my bike up and like, all right, let's learn how to preach. Spend an afternoon with them. Going through what it looks like to preach. And then an hour before I actually had to preach, I had to preach to Craig. Just him, last row in the church, no microphone. He's like, all right, preach your message. It was hard. Another hard one, me and Bob were just talking about this a couple weeks ago. I went to prison for a day, a handful of years ago in undergrad. As many would say, like, well, you probably had it coming. Uh, <laughs> it was back when he was doing prison ministry in the prisons, and I got to go with him, terrified. I was like 19, 20, and terrified going into prison when they're like, here, have this little box. If you get in trouble, pull it, and it makes a really high pitch, and the guards will be here like that. I was terrified. Especially, they, did, they broke it up into two sessions. The morning session, I don't think I said a word. I was like standing against the wall, just keeping my eyes out of like, all right, what's going to happen to me? Do they like me? Do they hate me? Like, by the afternoon, it was like, you know what? God's word's being taught here. Started to open up a little bit, and it was an awesome experience, awesome opportunity, but I was terrified. Today, we see some of that with Peter, stepping out into the unknown, beginning his uncomfortable journey, his hard journey. He's leaving Jerusalem, he's leaving his base, he's leaving the comforts. He's not headed home. He's not going back up to Galilee where it's, I can retire on the lakefront now. He's heading away. He's heading to Gentile country. We see today the start 
even more so the expansion of the global church. We've been seeing Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We've seen the inner circles. Now we're starting to see the expansion. And I think it's important that it's Peter that we're seeing this with as well. So today's a real hinge point. So stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Acts 9, 32 through 43. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and, gave, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can open your word and learn learn from your word and learn from the disciples and learn from Peter and learn from his example. And we pray for open hearts, open minds as we get into your word. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So one thing I always like to start with, being the geographer I am, is geography matters. So part of this is just figuring out where things are at, where, where Peter is. The, this map isn't the greatest one. Uh, Mark's going to give me a hard time for this, I know, because he can't see it. Uh, <laughs> But this one was intentional. I know you can't see it very well, but I wanted to show at least what the coastal looked like. So as you can see, those are the Judean hills. You've got Jerusalem in there. Jerusalem, Joppa. So I just wanted to show at least the topography there of what, what Peter's getting himself into. So he's coming down from the hills of Jerusalem, the safety, the safety net. Uh, 
And a little bit of background, too, before we get totally into the geography here, I wanted to cover at least a little bit of what's been going on, because many like me, I've been in and out this summer, so all of a sudden jumping back into the middle of Acts, it might be like, wait, what happened to Peter? Wait, we just saw Paul. We just saw the other disciples. Uh, So we just saw this guy Paul come on the stage who's now one of us. He was the one who was destroying the church and now all of a sudden part of the church. Now all of a sudden he's one that's feeling threatened of people want to kill him. The opposite of what he was doing. So we're taking a break from this Paul guy to go back to Peter. The Peter that As Jesus said, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Peter. The Peter that is starting the global church now. So we last saw Peter directly in in Samaria, where... The word went to the Samaritans, which again was was very out of the blue. The Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Even today, there's tension there. I've been in Samaria a few times, and you feel that tension. You feel the outsiders of the Samaritans. They have their own synagogues there. They do their own ceremonies. There's, there's tension. So he was there seeing the good that's happening, seeing the gospel expanding there, goes back to Jerusalem where he meets this Saul Paul guy. That's the last we kind of saw from him. So now we pick up of the title of my message was the here and there of the gospel. Verse 32 says, Peter went here and there. He's leaving Jerusalem and heading down to the coast. So geography matters. The coastal plain. So you're coming out of the safety and security of the mountains. Here's a better map of kind of where we're going. So, Jaffa up here, Lod, modern-day Lod, Lydda. So he's coming out of the safety and security. He's going further away from Jerusalem. He's coming down to the saints. It's always one of those fascinating things. At JUC, where I did one of my master's, One of the very first things we always talked about was the whole phrase of going down. If you look, Jerusalem isn't down. He's heading north, but going down. So one of the ideas, the main reason why they say that is going down. He's coming out of the hills. Coming down from on high, out onto the coast. So he's coming down to the saints. 
So there were believers there. So it's not that he's heading south, going down, I'm heading south. That's our current, like, current terminology, like nowadays. Oh, I'm heading south. I'm heading down. I'm going to Florida. I'm heading down. Yeah, we're going south. Not, not in this context. But he's walking out into the unknown. Especially, as verse 31 said, as Marco kind of hinted last week at the end, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. He's leaving peace. He's leaving shalom. He's leaving the comfort to the unknown. So what do we know about the coastal plain? Uh, I did a lot, of, a lot of research in this just in the past, uh, which I've brought some of my, my handy books that I, that I just love that give different geography pieces. Um, if you're looking for something just short, sweet, highly, highly recommend this. Um, Dr. Wright, who is the president of JUC, um, recently retired a couple years ago, but Heart of the Holy Land, um, 40 Reflections on Scripture and Place. They're just short little snippets, and just about every picture in here he took on his studies. Um, he... He was president for 20 years at JUC, spent over 30 years in the Holy Land, goes back constantly. Um, good, good stuff there that just gives a lot of insight. Um, his bigger work, this was our textbook. This is years and years of work for him. Um, and it gives you the whole idea of what the coastal plain would have been like. And then the old handy go-to, the sacred bridge, um, it's one of the Bible atlases. I used this so much when I was there. It's an incredible book. Uh, I believe even that one, the Giles got me that as a gift way back. Um, so it's a very near and dear opportunity there. Um, so what do we know of the coastal plain? Dr. Wright says, for the folk living up in the Judean hills, the coast was tempting for all that it offered but feared for some of the same reasons. Open and exposed, full of opportunity, yet vulnerable. The coast was most of all a place of competing and compelling worldviews that did not necessarily line up with those of Moses and the prophets. So the coastal plain was outside of Israel control for most of the biblical period. It was the Philistines. It was the Phoenicians. It was the, as we say at JUC, the cat-like route. So all of the big powerhouses would have used the north-south route of the coastal plain as the trade route. So they would go from, they would go from Egypt all the way up through the flat lands of the coast into Mesopotamia. Uh, those were the primary, the cat north-south connectors. During the New Testament, it goes from north-south to now east-west. You get the shipping of the Mediterranean. And with that, with the shift, as Dr. Wright says, with that shift, the cultural, political, and material reality of the Mediterranean world washed into the New Testament Judea like waves that don't stop. 
the coastal plain was a worldly place. It was a place for travelers all over the ancient Near East. And with that, especially in the New Testament, the coastal plain became quite Hellenized with their identity split between the conservative tug of the hills and the boundless opportunities of the sea. That's what the coastal Jews of the New Testament were dealing with. And even even currently, the coastal area, Tel Aviv, which, as you can tell, is right next door to Jaffa, is very much worldly today. I remember seeing commercials just a few years ago of, come visit Israel, and it was Tel Aviv, and you see all of these parties, and it reminded me of like South Beach, of like, oh, come visit the beach, and nightclubs, and raves, and all of this. Just an hour drive away to Jerusalem, you still have this religious hub. And that's modern day. Back then, it was very much the same, as we'll see next week with Caesarea, even more Hellenized, even more Roman, um, even more worldly. So that is what Peter's walking into. He's walking into the mixture now. So we see with Aeneas, he's walking into... Lydda, modern-day Lod, where there's this guy who's been paralyzed. Some say since the age of eight. Some say for eight years. Um, either way, a long time. And comes in. It, it's a little unclear if he was a saint, if he was a believer. But we know that there's believers there. And he heals them. And I think another interesting thing in the text, too, is his name, Aeneas. Greek name. Just giving a little another glimpse of we're expanding the gospel now. It's no longer just the Jews. It's no longer Jerusalem, Judea. We're expanding. So a Greek name. And there's, it, it was clear that he's visiting the saints. He came down to the saints that lived there. He does the healing, and word gets out. Everybody hears. Especially, so it says Sharon. Sharon Plain is kind of the coastal region as well. So it expands. It blows up. Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear about this healing? And then right after that, we go into Dorcas. Not the nickname that my cousin gave me growing up. (laughs) But another Greek name. And it's important to see, too, this one is clear. She was a disciple. And living in Joppa or Jaffa, um, it goes by multiple, multiple words. Um, if you're ever in Jerusalem, one of the gates of the Old Testament is, or one of the modern gates, is Jaffa Gate, meaning it's pointing to Jaffa, Joppa. Um, 
would have been one of the ancient port cities, one of the only ones in the ancient Near East. Um, As you can see, there's not much on the coast in ancient Israel. So Joppa was important all the way back. Uh, So there still would have been the mixture there because of the connection, the history with Judea. It wasn't that it was a new coastal town like Caesarea, uh, which Caesarea is mind-blowing. I'm sure Craig will, will hint on that next week of just what went into Caesarea. Uh, but Joppa was old. Still is a kind of an old-timey feel fishing village, um, modern day. Uh, but there was connection going back. We saw in Jonah 1.3, Jonah flees to Joppa. Uh, Second Chronicles 2.16 talks of the timbers that would be used for the temple would come from the sea to Joppa. So Joppa was the ancient port city. Uh, so it would have had a very worldly feel because you get all the shippers and all of these people who they sail, they're the gruff people that come all over the Mediterranean. It's worldly. And that's where Peter finds himself for another healing. Uh, So Tabitha was her Aramaic name, Dorcas, her Greek name. So again, it's that hint of, all right, we're expanding. Greek names now, not just Aramaic and Hebrew names. Uh, And she was an example to the people there. She was one of the godly saints, a disciple there. As we can see, as it talks about the widows that were around her had tunics and things that she had made to help people out. She was beloved by those around her. And she cared about them. And it was clear that these people were brokenhearted. One of their loved ones had passed. It's a little unclear of if she was old or if she was young, but it it does seem like it was out of the blue. And I know many of us have been there with faithful servants who've gone too soon in our books. We've got countless examples of friends, family, mentors who've gone too soon. And that's what these people are struggling with. And it doesn't seem like they were calling on Peter to come in and do the miracle. It seems like they were calling on Peter to come and grieve with them. Our faithful disciple is past. Come grieve with us. And it's in that where Peter has everybody leave, has everybody, everybody leave the room, and it's just him. And he does another healing. And again, word, word gets out. Word 
Word travels fast when you raise somebody from the dead. Many people believed in the Lord. Especially in Joppa, again, another important city. People believed in the Lord. As I was doing my study in this, I realized... I skipped some slides here. Well, you can kind of read on. So this is a little bit of the Coastal Plains piece. Uh, But as I did my studying, I realized that Peter's healings mirrored a lot of Jesus's. We see parallels between Aeneas and Mark 2, where Jesus heals the paralytic. Peter says, rise and make your bed, verse 34. Jesus, in Mark 2, says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Similarity there. Then with Dorcas, we see similarities with Luke 7, the widow's son. Mark 5, Jairus' daughter. John 11, the rising of Lazarus. In verse 40, Peter says, Tabitha, arise. Jesus, in Luke 7, young man, I say to you, arise. In Mark 5, little girl, I say to you, arise. There's a lot of parallels there. And Jesus' healings went all throughout Jerusalem, Judea. People knew those healings. People also knew that Jesus had died. Now, all of a sudden, some people were lacking hope of, oh no, our Messiah's gone, our Savior's gone. But they knew these stories, especially in an ancient Near East context, where everything was stories. Everything was sharing stories. There weren't these books. You had to be rich to have scrolls and books then. But everybody shared stories. So they knew these stories of Jesus. Now they're seeing their own versions from Peter. And one of the commentators, David Peterson, says, the risen Jesus continues to heal through Peter. He's healing in the uncomfortable areas. In areas that are, that are somewhat Hellenized, where there's that pull both ways, pull of Jerusalem, pull of the world. And yet, the church continues to grow. This is the next step to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So Peter's continuing his journey. As it, as it ends, you can tell he's still a little uncomfortable. 
because it ends with, he stayed in Joppa for many days. He wasn't continuing the here and there. He kind of stays put for a little bit. Until we see, going into next week, of Caesarea. That would be an even harder, harder sell. Okay, you're already in with, there's saints in these areas. Now go to Caesarea, where it's even more worldly, even more hard to share the gospel. But we'll save that for next week. And there was one little, little interesting nugget. I, I'm not going to go in depth with it or anything because it's, it's not much, but I did find it kind of fascinating with where Peter stayed in Joppa. With one Simon, a tanner. There's one thing we know that would have been a big no-no for the Jews. Because a tanner would have been working with dead animals, with dead skin, with carcasses. Like, that's a big no-no in Jewish culture. So Peter's already starting to kind of turn his back on some of the old Jewish ways. And, okay, I need to reach these people. I need to reach those that need it. So we're starting to turn even more with Peter, who I'll, on this rock, I'll build my church, Peter. So as we close, Peter, Peter left the safety and security of Jerusalem, the religious hub, the easy where he could have stayed with his fellow disciples. He could have retired up to the coast of Galilee, which is very nice. I've been on the shores of Galilee many times, and we've even kind of joked about it. It'd be kind of nice to go vacation there. Especially there's a nice little kibbutz Right, right on Galilee, where your overview of, like, I'd open my windows in the morning and here's the Sea of Galilee. That was the first night on this last trip where we stayed. Beautiful place. Peter could have done that. I'll retire back home. Especially where Peter was from. His town right on the sea, right on this beautiful view, and he didn't. He stepped out into the unknown, the uncertainty of the coast. He brought the gospel to people who needed it the saints, believers. Struggling believers, new believers, old believers, unbelievers. He brought the gospel 
to the coastal plain, the uncertainty, he stepped out. So what is the uncomfortable you're called to do? What is the hard that you have avoided? Where are the places you are called to go? Who are you called to bring the gospel to? Not saying we all have to be Peters and go to the ends of the earth. But we have mission fields right where we're at. Our neighborhood, our workplace, our families, schools, sports teams. We have countless mission fields right where we're at. And I'm not a perfect example of it. I had friends in undergrad who were great at street preaching. They would go Friday, Saturday nights down to Michigan Ave, downtown Chicago, and street preach. That wasn't me. I was terrified of that. Preaching up here, I was terrified of. Going to prison, I was terrified of. Talking to neighbors can be terrifying. Standing up for what's right can be terrifying. Giving up a job can be terrifying. So what's the uncomfortable that we're called to? Where is it that we need to go? Because as we've talked about, our world needs it. We talked about last Sunday of helping in children's ministry because our world is so dark. It's true. I work in it. I work with with many people who identify not as what they were born. My boss has a gay pride flag hanging in her office right on the corner of a busy street so the world can see. That's where I work, the hard, the uncomfortable. But people there know that I do this, that I preach. So what's our uncomfortable? What's our hard? Because the world needs it. And maybe it is helping children's ministry. The plea's been out there. Maybe it's that uncomfortable. Maybe that's the hard, but it's needed. So where are you called to go? Where's your mission field? Where's your coming out of the hills, coming down to the coast, following Peter's example of the uncomfortable? Life's not always easy. 
We see that throughout the gospel. We're not promised riches. We're not promised the ease of life. We're promised pain and suffering and hard. Will you embrace it? Let's pray.